Hey, I just wanted to wish all of you the happiest of New Year's and to let you know about some changes that we're making for 2023 for Lead with Trust. So first, we are going to shift to episodes on the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month. Uh, We've heard you loud and clear that weekly is just too hard for you to consume. Second, we are doing some uh, series. And the first one is going to be on bringing women into construction. Uh, There's over a half a billion construction jobs that are sitting unfilled. And the industry really needs to do something. We're seeing this impact on all the projects I'm working on. And it seems that, you know, we really need to figure out how to increase our workforce. And women is half of the workforce are in the world. And so women seem to be a natural along with others, of course. So this series is going to share the insights and lessons learned from women who are working in the industry and who can be role models for other women who might want to join uh, the industry. The series will be on the second Tuesday of each month. We will be also doing on the fourth Tuesday of each month, our regular episodes that we've been doing where we're learning and and thinking and doing things for the industry. Third, uh, Lead with Trust is not just a podcast. You can get the same great information by subscribing to our Lead with Trust newsletter or by subscribing to the Lead with Trust YouTube channel. And this way you can get the information the way you like to get it and share it with your team members and colleagues. And so everyone can get the information. So lastly, Lead with Trust is really here for you, the whole construction nation. Let me know if there's a question, a topic, a trend or something you would like me to explore on Lead with Trust. And until next time, Construction Nation, thank you for a wonderful year. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation, this is Sue Dyer, and this is episode 62 of the Lead with Trust podcast. And today we have a really great guest, and it is Jorge Rubio, who is the Deputy Director of Airport Management for the City of San Diego. He is also the immediate past president of the Southwest American Association of Airport Executives, which is where I met Jorge as he was passing the gavel to the next leader, the next president. And I was very impressed 
at how renowned and beloved he was by his peers. And no one can achieve that in an industry without knowing how to create a high trust environment and high trust relationships. So I think he gives us some pretty good insights in this episode. So let's listen in. Hey, welcome Construction Nation to episode 63. And I'm so excited to have Jorge Rubio here with us today. And he's someone that I think is a true epitome of a trusted leader and in both his work world and also his volunteer world. So we want to, we want to learn more about that and what he's doing and his journey on how he became such a great uh, admired leader. So welcome, Jorge. Thank you so much for having me here today, Sue. So I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. So I would always like to start off with a crazy question. So uh, tell us about your very first job you ever had. Oh, my gosh. Can I tell you what, about my first two jobs that I had initially? That sounds perfect. Because the first one only lasted less than a day. <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, 16 years old. I lived in New York City. I had just arrived in the U.S. and uh, one of my dad's uh, friends, he said, you should come over and work at a restaurant and um, as a busboy. So I went in the first day. I worked for about a half day. And uh, the reason why I say that I only worked for a half day is because I wasn't really understanding what people were saying at the point at that time. And um, the owner obviously was not too happy with that. And he requested that I come back when I learned the language. And uh, funny story is later on, I did, but uh, I was a customer then. <laughs> but my, my other job was actually helping my dad. He did work at a factory. We used to make uh, golf uh, products. Uh, my dad was um, leading the production line. And um, we made uh, golf bags. We made uh, uh, golf gloves. Um, uh, if you have... Uh, uh, if you're familiar with the golf carts, we actually made the cabanas and the coolers. So if you're ready to golf, I was the guy that you needed to talk to. That's very cool. Very cool. So you came here at 16. That's correct. That is probably like a pivotal time. Think about that because you're still sort of a kid, but you're definitely on your way to becoming an adult. What was that like? I can tell you that it was... Um, very, very interesting. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my uh, background. I actually uh, grew up in Ecuador initially at 9,000 feet. So all the way up in the Andes, we did not get any snow. So uh, thankfully, but um, then later on, um, uh, I, you know, I kind of like went to school in the city. I ended up going to a private school for a few years. I was trying to become an architect. So that was my field of study. So when I came to the United States, I left the country living and I landed in New York City. But one of the things that I say, I would say was interesting is the fact that I thought that because I used to watch it on TV, I guess I didn't realize that New York City is not full of buildings all over the place. It's just Manhattan that had it. And so that was kind of like, a, I was a little disappointed, but at the same time, I wanted to go and explore and I wanted to conquer the world. So it was just a a great time and a great opportunity for me to be able to do that and for my parents to uh, be able to give me that opportunity. It's so, so fun. I just love uh, stories where people came 
and uh, and, and you know your your dream of architecture. So you you land where you think you're going to have the best architecture in the world to look at and uh, fuel your dreams. And but there's got to be a lot of trust in yourself to go from there to really make your your dreams come true. Yes, um, I, I think so. I, I, I can tell you that um, when I was a child, I was very shy. I didn't really interact with people too much. Um, I kept everything to myself. And uh, when I came to New York, um, I actually went to a school. The New York City school system had just opened this uh, high school. It was called the School for New Americans, Newcomers High School. So I had the ability to, actually, the, I wouldn't say the ability. Um, I was exposed to so many cultures uh, from different countries around the world. So we had people from Italy, Nigeria, Taipan, you name it. We had it all. So I was able to learn a little bit um, about their cultures, about their language. But at the same time, since we weren't able to fully communicate, we had to trust uh, with our signal language, kind of like what we were saying. So um, it was definitely something that we had to play along with. And I think uh, uh, having me exposed to that type of environment really helped me out later on. I can see that. I can see that being, you know, like extraordinary. Also training your brain to kind of almost just float with trying to figure out the signals and what people are communicating through body language or tone and things. I bet that helps you a lot now. <laughs> it did. And it does. Yeah. So what role does trust play in your role now as deputy director of airport management or the city of uh, San Diego? So I have been with the city for a little bit less than three years now. Um, I was initially hired uh, to be a program manager, but with the intention, I believe, to put me in this position. I believe that uh, in the position that I am right now, since I am uh, responsible for making sure that the airports are run safely and efficiently, there's a lot of people that <laughs> need to put their trust on me. Um, first of all, I got to say that in order for me to gain the trust, I have to have shown them that I have the ability to do things, that I have the knowledge uh, to run the operation efficiently, but also I need to uh, show them that um, I'm able to understand uh, politics, I'm able to understand uh, regulations, that I am able to uh, especially understand and motivate my employees, and um, the, the ability to show them that I truly care, which is uh, something that I am sincere about and that I always uh, support. So there's many, many, many things that happen at airports every single day. And um, people just need to, you know, trust that I'm doing a good job. And if I get uh, their trust, then my job becomes much easier. Um, you know, because I don't get questions too much. But if I forget questions, I'm happy to get them. But um, they feel, I, I believe that people feel that I'll be giving them an honest answer, and that uh, if I don't know the answer, I'll be doing my research in order to provide them with the proper communication. I think that's so true. Yeah, but I think there is has to be confidence and trust in yourself that you can be truthful, even when you don't know. You know, it's like I'll find out or give you my give you my opinion, but I don't know for sure. So, so tell us what was your journey from New York to getting to San Diego? Because that's a that's a bit of a ways. It is uh, far, but uh, you know, I've I've moved before, so uh, it wasn't 
something new. But uh, I did see an opportunity on the West Coast for me to further my career. At, this, at the same time, I did have a, a young family. So we decided to move across uh, to look for better opportunities. When I was in New York, uh, I didn't get to it earlier, but I actually uh, did not get a degree in architecture. I found out that aviation is what I loved. And um, I finished my degree in, in aviation management, uh, went to work for the airlines uh, at the John F. Kennedy International Airport. Then I went to work for the New Haven Airport in Connecticut as an operations uh, supervisor and uh, came to the West Coast. And I ended up uh, working at the County of Ventura Department of Airports, uh, but overseas uh, two airports uh, similar to what, what I do here in San Diego. So in San Diego, I oversee Brownfield Municipal Airport and uh, Montgomery Gives Executive Airport, which just happens to be one of the busiest uh, general aviation airports in the nation. My journey uh, to get here, again, I wanted to look for something that um, would be a career opportunity. I wanted to make sure that my family was taken care of. And uh, it just happens that um, I believe that uh, in California, you have a, a great mecca for aviation within the United States as well, as far as general aviation is concerned. Uh, so it just uh, worked out uh, well for me, 2006. That's awesome. Well, welcome. We love having you here. Thank you. So I know that uh, you've also been a leader, just the, the past president of the Southwest uh, AAAE, which is uh, the American Association of Airport Executives. And uh, I know that, you know, th that is never an easy job, <laughs> uh, although it's a great group of people, but there's always, you know, politics and things that happen. And uh, I know you are beloved. So uh, what did you, how did you become beloved in your industry? You know, when I came to the West Coast, I wanted to continue to get involved with um, the mothership, as I call it, which is uh, AAAE, the American Association of Airport Executives. And I knew there was a, a chapter um, on the West Coast and I wanted to get involved right away. So at that time, I would say I wanted to learn a little bit about, uh, about what the West Coast was about. I wanted to create some uh, relationships. I wanted to have a sounding voice whenever I had a question. Um, but later on, I got to say that that transitioned into, hey, I, I have been able to do that. Uh, I think uh, I, I belong here now. I think uh, the Southwest chapter, in a sense, is my second family. Um, and uh, at that point, I wanted to contribute a little bit more than just uh, taking it in. And um, I knew that uh, we had some schools in the area, so I wanted to uh, that, that focus on aviation. So I wanted to provide them in a way a path uh, to aviation, maybe get some mentorship uh, programs happening. And uh, at the same time, I wanted to represent uh, the industry, not only regionally, but nationally in a way that the uh, airport industry move forward. Because there's no better feeling than having been able to contribute and having left uh, your mark as small as it could be, but uh, having left a mark uh, as to something, a positive change that you've left behind. So that's, that, that's why I wanted to initially run for it. And um, I did get the support from many people. The uh, chapter is about 600 um, members and uh, you have to be elected. So it's not something like, hey, I'm gonna be the president, you know? Um, so 
in the association, in order to be president, it's actually a four-year commitment. Um, people need to know you. People need to trust you. People need to feel uh, good about um, the representation that you're looking to provide to them. And then when it's time for elections, basically, um, you show them uh, who you are. You try to be sincere. And uh, as I found out, they, they will like you if, if you do those things. So... Um, uh, first they selected me, actually they elected me to be what they call the second vice president. So that's just kind of like to understand, um, the, how the executive committee works a little bit more. Then, uh, they move you into the first, uh, pre vice president seat. And then you learn a little bit more about, um, uh, finances, um, about, you know, some political things as well. And then you're ready to serve as president. And, um, I just stepped off during the conference that uh, you attended with us um, in Sonoma. So at the moment, I am the um, the immediate past president. So in a way, uh, I am kind of like the sounding board for the new president that came in. That's so cool. I think that uh, the work that we do in the associations are so important uh, and so and rewarding. You know, I, I've always heard people say, and I still think it's very true, the more you give, the more you get. And, uh, but I, but I don't see all the time a president that's as, uh, beloved as, as you have been. Don't see that all the time for sure. And, uh, so congratulations on that. But it just sort of follows suit with your ability to care and create a high trust environment. And you brought that to the association as well. So tell us a little bit about projects. You've worked on, you know, we could we have Construction Nation here. So tell us a little bit about projects you're working on, you're going to work on, what your philosophy is, whatever you want to tell us about projects. Well, um, projects for me are a way to make sure that the infrastructure survives. And if it is new infrastructure, to make sure that that new infrastructure is useful for the parties to be. In my case, uh, I obviously oversee airports. So most of the work that I do has to do with uh, runways, with uh, taxiways, with the ramps, and improvements that would make sure that would ensure that aircraft are able to touch them safely. And now those are the uh, infrastructure projects related to safety. Then you have some other fun projects, as I, as I would call them, um, where you actually you, you have two options. You can actually go on it on your own. So the municipality develops facilities. I'm talking about buildings. I'm talking about terminals, things of that nature. And you can also go what I call the P3. Uh, as a matter of fact, we just had a P3 conference summit in San Diego last week. It's the public private partnership. Mm -hmm. And the key word there is partnership where you as um, the municipal body are looking uh, or is looking to provide a public service, but why don't you bring somebody from the private sector that can come in, that can build the infrastructure for you, probably at a more effective timeline and, uh, and a more affordable cost, I would say, and they can deliver it for you and they can provide that benefit to the public. And in return, you'll get a portion of the uh, revenue that they would be making. In our case, what we do is we lease the, the land out uh, to businesses, we call them FBOs or fixed uh, based operators. And then that's the way that we um, actually get them to build facilities uh, that are able to handle the 
um, traffic, and then we get uh, revenue in the forms of concessions, in the forms of uh, rent, of landing fees, uh, or anything that may be flowing through that facility. So that's basically how, how we handle our projects. Where we sit right now, uh, today is uh, August the 16th. Um, I won't say the year, <laughs> but over the next uh, five years, uh, we have slated about $50 million, $50 million of projects between both airports. And again, most of them have to do with uh, runways, taxiways, parking lots, that type of infrastructure. And that is really expensive. So with us, we are lucky that um, we work with the FAA and they actually give us uh, the funding mechanism to get most of those things uh, done. Uh, they sh their share is about 90 or 95 percent of the cost of the project, sometimes 100 if you're lucky. But um, one of the things that we're looking to do is at Brownfield specifically, and this is uh, something that we need to go out and uh, see if the FAA would be willing to fund, but uh, we're looking to build a new terminal facility at Brownfield. So when you mentioned about what, what my approach is for projects, I've told you about infrastructure, I've told you about uh, the private buildings, uh, private facilities. Um, but um, when you are working with uh, contractors, you're basically trying to make sure that before you get a contractor, you get a good consultant on board that are able to estimate how much a project is going to be, if there's any potential work orders in the, that will probably come out and what the options are. So you have a good scope of, for the project so that when you actually get the, a contractor on board, that you are on the same page. Um, I do have to tell you by reading your book, uh, you mentioned that uh, in, your, in your book, um, The Trusted Leader, that uh, you encounter a fist fight during one, one of your um, first meetings. I have encountered uh, meetings where they're having some disagreements and we have been able to work them out uh, by having the representatives in the, in the room and setting clear expectations. So I think your expectations is definitely something that you need to have and anything else can be worked out. Since my Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Trusted Leader, came out last February, so many of you have asked me to create a course based on my book. So I've spent this year developing the Trusted Leadership course, Go Farther Faster by Using Trust. And I'm so excited to announce that this self-study and also group coaching course will be ready for launch in January of 2023. It has six modules that will be transformative for you and your leadership. And I guarantee that you will get a breakthrough to the next level of trust in a challenge that you and your team face. And the group coaching is there to support you every step of the way and answer your questions and learn from others. I'm so excited. And I hope that you will jump on over to sudico.com slash course, S-U-D-Y-C-O.com slash course, C-O-U-R-S-E, and reserve your spot today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I really believe in the partnering process, particularly if you're going to do something that has a fixed price, whether it's a CMGC or low bid, I, th I think you need to have a, a methodology, a framework that allows for 
uh, alignment and agreement along the way and measuring. So I really am a big believer in the partnering process for that. And uh, with P3s, uh, my, my belief is that they have their place and they have places where they're not. I remember I was at a very large airport and they were doing a P3 and a mayor, mayor's on TV that night. I'm sitting in the hotel at the airport and she's going, how can anybody know what's in this 25,000 page document? And, uh, and they, they did pass, the city did pass it. Uh, but then, uh, like two years later, they shut down the whole program and, and kicked off the, everybody off the project and had to completely restart. And, and that's not the first story in aviation. I've heard that. So it, I think they definitely have their place, but they are not easy. So <laughs> right. also I told you, were talking about the FAA and I know the FAA sort of has four levels and. So what what do you what do you do to develop your strong working high trust relationship there? Do you have any any insights there? Well, with the FAA, I think um, they are looking for different things, right? I mean, there's different arms of the FAA. Um, for example, you have the compliance uh, arm. Um, our reports are not really what we call the one thirty nine certified or commercially certified. But when you work at an airport like that. Um, Typically, you have um, several standards uh, that you need to meet. Um, how many times you are inspecting runways, if there's any uh, breaches uh, that occur, like safety breaches, and they have inspections. So they, they actually have a pretty cool uh, way of monitoring that you're doing your work. Um, I wouldn't say monitoring, but just ensuring that you do your work. It's um, the self-compliance documents that you need to follow. So you as the airport create uh, what, what you call the, the airport certification manual, you send it to the FAA, they bless it. And now you have to abide by it. Um, I call it the, the airport Bible, basically, but, uh, but um, that's because you have to follow it you know, to the teeth. So that's, that's the first one. And then as far as um, grants and other relationships with the FAA, I would say you always have to keep engaged with them. You always have to tell them what projects you have uh, coming down the pipeline. Um, I mentioned that we have the airport capital improvement uh, plan for both airports. That is a five-year document. Uh, it's basically a wish list. Uh, it's not necessarily in stone, but I will give the FAA an idea as to what projects they have coming down the, I was say, the pipeline, and then they're able to tell you if you can qualify or if they have the funding to allocate for that specific project. So that's that's kind of how that works. And when the time gets closer, then you you actually uh, can deliver. But when I would say you can always apply for funding, sometimes you would get uh, denied. In our case, uh, uh, we try to make sure that we always get that uh, funding. And the FIA, the staff also looks at your history. So if you have a project that is ready to go, or if you have a history of projects that you've been doing, they look at your favorite group. And that's, uh, I think, uh, a big help whenever you're trying to get uh, something bigger accomplished because they can trust on you delivering what you promised that what, that you were going to be delivering. And at that point, you know, it's, it's just easier to get the funding. So working with the FAA has definitely been uh, a learning experience for me, not only on that side, but um, when you're working with the FAA, uh, you also, people here are probably familiar with uh, 
the NEPA process or the Environment Federal uh, NEPA review. And um, you just want to make sure that you have you want you want all the stars lining up basically in order to make sure that a project moves forward and you're able to deliver on that project. And and that's great. They also, I think they also feel proud to tell you the truth whenever they have a project completed and they can close it and say, hey, I worked on that project. So they feel part of that construction team on the ground itself. And make sure like, you know, that you call them out whenever you have something going on, whenever you have completed a project or whenever you're starting a project so that they can see how the land or the, well, how, how it looked vacant and now, there's uh, something, uh, infrastructure on top of it, and that just makes them feel well. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you sort of embrace them as part of your team as opposed to putting a wall and throwing things over, which happens a lot of times. So, exactly. Yeah. So I know I've worked with the FAA on, on actually, they've hired me before to do things for them. But um, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're just people just like everyone else. And I love it when they actually come to the projects and are excited to see what are you doing? And then they take that to other projects, which is exciting, happens very quickly. So what is what are some barriers to trust that you have faced over your career? There have been some. <laughs> um, at a previous job, I, I won't disclose it. But at a previous job, I was, uh, I would say, in mineral management. And um, I was applying for a promotion. Um, and I mean, there's been other instances, but I'm giving you a specific one. Because at this specific time, it wasn't only about uh, uh, the promotion, but it was about uh, potentially the whole team uh, having repercussions uh, happen to them. But really what happened is that position became open. I was looking to apply for the position. However, everybody, and I say everybody um, within the department, they were not fans of uh, the person on top, the, the person that I would be reporting to if I was promoted. So I have been debating about potentially being that filter between all of the employees and that specific person. And um, I didn't really know how to do it. But uh, I guess something within me just uh, gave me the strength to go to that uh, um, boss and uh, be sincere about it. So basically, I went to him. I approached him. I told him, hey, I know uh, you are considering me for this position. But before I do that, I want to be sincere with you. I want to tell you what is happening. I want to tell you how you can help fix the situation. And if you trust me, I'm willing to do that with you. So I took that chance of just a risk of not getting promoted and potentially uh, having stayed there for a little longer. But then that person actually listened to me. So what happened at that point is um, I got promoted a few weeks later and um, we, we ended up talking to each employee individually to see what was bothering them, what wasn't bothering them, to understand what their goals were, to understand um, what they wanted for us to do in order to help them achieve them, to see what was possible, to see what wasn't. And obviously we had to be genuine about what we were looking to promise them. And that really changed the way that um, that organization operated 
a few months later, I mean, that team could have done anything for us. I mean, it was just the trust was there. We could ask them to do something and they would go above and beyond to get something completed. And they would say, hey, by the way, I did this too. And we'll be so happy. And at the same time, they would come, um, uh, you know, they would, they would come to us and we would be there to defend them. So eventually that um, leader ended up leaving. It was an unfortunate situation. Um, and I got to tell you that the trust that the employees left uh, were left with and the trust that they had on me at that time, it was just amazing. I, I just couldn't believe it. I was speechless as to all of the gratitude that they had. So it was just like a, an amazing, amazing opportunity, an amazing, amazing experience. And I, it, it sounds like you learned a lot of lessons from that too. So um, that's my next question. What What's, uh, you know, the, your, your biggest lesson you've learned about trust in your career? Be humble. <laughs> I would say be humble, be genuine, and um, know that you are working with and uh, making decisions about people's lives and uh, not necessarily about uh, yours, but about everybody else as a team. So that's, that's the biggest uh, take that I, that I have received. And I think he has uh, served me well. That's, that's cool. I think that it shows. So if you could change one thing in your organization or your team to significantly improve the level of trust, what would that be? That's a, a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say there's uh, maybe a few things that I would be able to, to do. I came to this organization about three years ago. I have made uh, some changes. I think I have created a little more trust back and forth, but there are still some other things that um, uh, I think uh, I could potentially do. And I am trying to actually do those as we speak. One of them is our airports. We have uh, airport operations staff for two airports and they only report uh, to that specific airport that they're assigned. So what I'm looking to do is uh, actually in one airport I was feeling less than the other. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get those staff members to actually collaborate and work at both airports, get experience at both airports and be able to report at both airports so that they understand how they both operate and they can actually take stuff from either one of the airports to the other airport if they believe that um, it is going to improve uh, their operation as well. So that's one of the minor things that I think I'm doing, but I think it's going to be uh, carrying a long way. It doesn't sound that minor. It sounds like it will do several things. Cross-pollination, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, if effective efficiencies as well. And also just the ability to marshal your resources where they're needed when they're needed. Uh, it sounds like it's, yeah going to be a really, really good thing. But isn't it interesting how people get so used to a routine and they're siloed in their own little paradigm and right. uh, you have to kind of pull them out of that until they, they find out, oh, there's a bigger world out there and it's more fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's what I'm, we're trying to do. Um, now that you mentioned that actually another thing that I'm trying to do, since you mentioned SWAI as well, is um, um, I am trying to make sure that staff knows about the opportunities that are out there within the industry and that it's not only about the city of San Diego airports. Um, as I told you, there's a, many other airports out there. Uh, there are certifications um, uh, 
through the American Association of Airflow Executives, uh, their certifications through SWAI, ACI, anything. So I'm trying to basically have them learn. And I, what I want to motivate them to do is I want to motivate them to stay because we treat them well. But at the same time, I want to let them know that there's a bigger world out there and if a better opportunity arrives, there wouldn't be any hard feelings because we'll be providing to the industry, not necessarily to the airports alone. That's cool. That's cool. And employees need that so much today. You know, they need that flexibility and the ability to grow and to uh, have their people want them to grow. Yeah. So one last question. What advice would you offer to other leaders who are looking to level up trust in their team or their organization, their city or their association? I would say talk less, listen more. (laughs) And um, what I mean by that is uh, they should be able to listen to their employees, not necessarily just hear them, but listen to them, be able to understand their, their language in a different manner understand potentially where they're coming from, understand if they're having any, giving some personal issues, if they're willing to share, uh, understand if the issues that they're having are because uh, maybe they don't have the help that they need. And um, that's what will, will, that's where they will get a lot of help from the employees themselves. As far as um, within different organizations and uh, I would say within them, an organization's executive leadership. I would say something similar, but at at that point, I think you also need to be able to demonstrate and have the ability to continue to learn, be caught up with technology, understand everything else that is happening in the world. Don't work uh, on your own and um, take advantage of the networking opportunities that you may have. That's awesome. Thank you. So what's your dream job? I have it. I work for Dream. There you go. <laughs> we can see it right behind you. Right. For those of you on the podcast, there's a beautiful plane. Tell us about the plane right behind you. Well, actually, when I talked about Dream, I work for the Department of Real Estate and Airport Management. So it's Dream. You take the first letter of every word. But the aircraft behind me, it's a P-51 Mustang. That picture was actually taken at the Camarillo Airport when I worked at Ventura County. It's one of my favorite aircraft uh, that is out there. And as you can see, they planned it really well. It's beautiful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. beautiful. As are you. And thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just delightful. And I know everyone will, will get so much from your interview here. I really appreciate it. So how can people find you? So I am easy to find. Um, I would say try to email me, J-E-Rubio, R-U-B-S-M-B-O-I-O, at San Diego Dalgob. That's, that's where they can find me. Got it. Thank you so much, Jorge. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sue. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. 
every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.